Hello, my name is Richard Bolas, and welcome to the Dad Mindset Show, where we explore different perspectives on fatherhood with the aim of becoming less bad at being a dad. This episode, I talk with ex-army officer, paramedic, and educator Tim Cook, where he goes into his approach to raising his two young children, as well as what it's like to drive around Kosovo with millions of Deutschmarks in the boot of a Ford Mondeo. Now, Tim is such a generous individual and has time for everyone he meets. He's done so many things in life that we literally could have talked for hours. He's one of the few people I know that seems to really be able to balance all the important aspects of his world really well, whilst having a lot of fun in the meantime. I hope you enjoy this chat with Tim. So, Tim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you uh, here with us. How have you been? Thanks very much. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, all is good. Thanks for inviting me along. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, um, can you give us a bit of context, Tim? Uh, where, where are you sitting right now? So I'm uh, sitting in my office at home uh, in South Worcestershire in uh, a little town called Malvern, uh, looking out across the common to the, to the hills in the distance. And um, yeah, sitting here having a chat. It, it is a, uh, a particularly uh, pretty part of the world, isn't it? Oh, it's stunning. I love living here. It's uh, it's great to be able to just walk out of the house straight across the common and onto the hills. And uh, it's great for the kids as well, get them out into the fresh air as much as possible. And um, with regard to the kids, um, how old are your kids? Can we get a, a rundown of names, uh, ages? Yeah, so we've got um, two children. So we as Julia, my wife and I have got uh, two children. Uh, William's our oldest. He's four years old, so just four. And we've got Elizabeth, who is two years old so uh, she's the baby and always will be i guess <laughs> i think they always are but uh well we'll see how that plays out for both of us <laughs> yeah 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 now um what you, how long have you actually been living back there tim because you you haven't always lived there have you no i've um i've done full circle actually i um i was born in worcester which is uh, just up the road and uh, or I was, rather i was born in a village just outside worcester and then moved to worcester when, when my teenage years um and then we met in at Cardiff University, and then uh, after that I joined the army and uh, disappeared off and lived in various different places for 10 years. And then when I left the army, went up to North Wales and, and uh, played in the mountains for a bit, and then uh, decided to go back to university to become a paramedic and, uh, and went back to Swansea University in South Wales, uh, and then met, met Julia, and um, her family are in Worcestershire, would you believe? So... Uh, came all the way back around here uh, so that we can live uh, near her family. So you basically so, yeah, travelled around the world to make sure that the, the, the girl from next door was actually the right one. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Now, um, you touched on the, the point about you started off your career in the army. Tell us a bit about that, Tim. Um, uh, what do you want to know? I suppose um, I studied engineering at, at university, mechanical engineering, and... Um, kind of didn't really kind of I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be a, a, an industrial engineer I suppose and um, you and I were both in the university officer training corps and playing soldiers whilst being students and um, it, it turns out that's a bit of a recruiting organization for the for the military and it worked on me a very and, successful uh, one <laughs> so, yeah yeah so I thought uh, why not join the army and um kind of use my engineering skills uh but um in quite a different context uh, as it turns out i never never once made an engineering decision in in the whole time there. <laughs> um so, so i was an army officer and uh, i spent a lot of my time in 
uh, sort of training roles and operational roles and um, looking after soldiers. Yeah. Um, uh, but then kind of was getting a bit uh, bit frustrated with the roles and you, but ended up transferring well, into the... Because you did a couple of tours, didn't you? That's right, yeah. I went out to Kosovo. It was the first tour uh, right at the start of that. So that was a really interesting thing and ended up being the, the deputy mayor, essentially, of a place called Podjevo, uh, which was a fantastic opportunity as a, as a sort of 20-something-year-old young man. Uh, and then went out to Bosnia a couple of years later, which was... Um, Again, great. It's a bit of a holiday camp, to be honest. Played a lot of volleyball, um, but running the workshop out there. Uh, and then I went to Iraq as well. So um, that was a bit more interesting. That was, it was 2004, I think. So, um, yeah, I was, had, a, had a good job in, in Iraq in 2004. But kind of had had enough of the, 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 the sort of engineering world. And um, there was an opportunity to transfer to become an education officer. So I did that, studied for my PGCE. And then um, uh, took up a role as, a, as an education officer, but very quickly ended up running uh, the education centres because I'd kind of become a little bit too senior for, for actually teaching. Uh, but that was a great, uh, a great opportunity to to kind of get involved in in education a bit more. And, and kind of really, education is my background. That's my kind of passion, I suppose. So, so that was that was really nice. Yeah. What, yeah, what sort that, of highlights um, can you remember from that stage of the army? Or your army career, I should say. Oh, because um, you got to choose oh, your own adventure, pretty much, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it, you do and you don't. It's um, as with all things in life, it's kind of what you make it, and um, you can you can uh, you can go for opportunities, or, or you can let them pass you by. Uh, but at the same time, you know where you get posted is pretty much out of your hands until you start getting a bit more senior. Um, but yeah, oh, it's just the the crazy things that you get to do, you know. Like I, like I mentioned, becoming a, a, a whatever I was a twenty one year old deputy mayor of a of a Kosovo town council. Um, <laughs> Tell us a bit and, about that. Uh, <laughs> what does that actually well, just, mean? <laughs> well, I, there was there was my boss uh, who was essentially the mayor. Basically, the the guy from the the United Nations hadn't turned up. He was supposed to be there doing it, and for whatever reason, he didn't turn up. And uh, so it was kind of empty. And and when the Serbs had left, they just trashed the place. And uh, and there was nothing much in place, so um, so Richard, my boss, took on the, the job of mayor as part of our battle group, uh, and and I was a kind of officer without portfolio at the time, so I, I stepped in and became his two IC, and we had a, a, a couple of senior NCOs and some local interpreters working for us. I say interpreters; they were just uh, students from from the university who who were studying English, um, and we um, yeah we kind of got to try and put the place back together in, in those early months. So I, I had a, a portfolio of looking after the medical centers and the schools um, uh, and and business, really. So trying to get businesses back up and running, for instance. The, the last thing I did before I left, I, I was waiting for something like, I think it was 10,000 chickens to be delivered. We'd spent the six months getting the chicken farms all put back together because, again, they were torched as the Serbs left. So we kind of got all the equipment bought for them and, and got them all done back up, got roofs on them and windows in and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I was waiting for these 10,000 chickens, but they were stuck on the border with Macedonia and it was the end of my tour. So I kind of had to leave before these things turned up, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, things like that, we were going around paying the teachers. I remember being in this um, <clears throat> white Ford Mondeo with, with uh, my sergeant. We had 
oh, millions of Deutschmarks in the boot of this car. Uh, and we were going around to, to villages just trying to work out who the teachers were and trying to pay them a bit of salary just to, to keep education going, just to get it going, you know. Um, and we were, because we kind of had, the, we were the conduit for the money then, of course, all the bad guys were pretending to be good guys and, you know, kind of taking us out for dinner and stuff and pretending to be good guys. So it was, it was quite an interesting time to kind of work out who was doing who was doing what, who was who, and yeah, yeah. And how did that actually differ to your time in Iraq? Um, well, Iraq was a very different job, I suppose. My my role there was kind of running the part of a workshop. So particularly the, the role, I suppose, that had my main focus was the recovery operations. So if a vehicle was broken down or if we were going on a big a big move and we, we wanted to take recovery assets with us uh, in case somebody broke down, then it was kind of running that stuff. So um, I, I was largely based kind of in the camp and, and uh, just doing the, the planning and, and organizing and, and sort of HR functions quite often um, with the guys going out on the ground. But obviously there's a, there's a much higher risk profile uh, in Iraq in 2004. So, um, yeah, it's a very different uh, context, I suppose, to be working in. Yeah. Um, do you reckon it would have been much different, obviously, because um, you were single at the time, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I think I think the military often does that to you. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. Again, it was a good adventure as a young man. It's kind of nice to nice to get involved in that sort of stuff and uh, nice to put all that training into 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 play, I suppose. But... Um, but much more of a of a working. It felt much more like kind of you know military operations rather than kind of Kosovo and Bosnia, which which kind of hadn't been so so much focused like in that way. Yeah, gotcha. And then um, obviously when you came back, when did you actually make the decision to change into becoming a paramedic? Um, uh, I suppose um, I'd become a teacher in the army and. Um, at some point decided that I was going to take control back of my own life um, rather than being told where I was going to get posted and what job I was going to do. And um, kind of to decompress, I moved up to North Wales and, and did all my outdoor instructor qualifications so I could kind of help kids to, to develop a bit in, through the medium of the outdoors, learn a bit about themselves through that. And as part of that, I'd been doing remote first aid and, and really enjoyed that first aid stuff. And... Um, I ended up getting dragged into uh, an expedition company and ended up being the operations director, kind of uh, running the delivery of those expeditions, which, again, was a real privilege to do and, and, and able to kind of influence the lives of, of hundreds and hundreds or thousands probably of children, which was fantastic. But um, found myself stuck behind a, a desk and spreadsheets again. And uh, so I, I, I'd really enjoyed the medical stuff. So I thought, you know what? there's an opportunity here so uh yeah i applied for a, 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 a to do a degree in in paramedic science or a diploma in paramedic science and um yeah it was was accepted so decided to go back to university I, again i was still single so i just rented the house out so to pay the mortgage and and i, I know where i could uh, i could afford to, to do it at the time so i did and again really interesting couple of years yeah. Uh, what were the sort of um, highlights and lowlights? I guess you must have seen a whole spectrum of, of things. Yeah. Um, working as a paramedic, again, really interesting. And um, I kind of, 
I don't I don't work operationally as a paramedic at the moment but um yeah no, probably not so many highlights um because even you know delivering babies is quite a stressful uh, thing because it doesn't happen very often so it's quite stressful when it happens um I suppose afterwards it might you can, you can look back and smile um but uh yeah I mean it, the sheer variety of the jobs I suppose is interesting and uh yeah you you get to meet all sorts of weird and wonderful people um and and the more we kind of learn about genetics i'm i'm quite interested in in genetics and, and listen to a couple of podcasts that uh that kind of talk about that stuff and uh it, it, it's really good because it chimes with with my feeling as a paramedic which is to you know whatever is going on with this person you can't judge them because actually their genetics and their life circumstances have have brought them to this place and um I do find occasionally you find people that that, uh, that are very quick to judge um, people who are perhaps alcohol dependent or people who are just drunk on a Saturday night or, you know, who are inappropriately calling the ambulance service. And um, and I pretty quickly realized when I started being a paramedic that actually, you know, this could happen to any of us. And, uh, and actually life circumstances, you, you know, sometimes takes people to great places and sometimes takes people to pretty rubbish places. And uh, and my role was was there to be as supportive as possible to to anybody who I who I felt I could kind of support. So um, yeah, kind of really nice in that way to support people and uh, challenging to to hold on to that uh, philosophy with with some patients, I suppose. What sort of um, things do you think have translated from working as a paramedic when it comes to looking after your own kids? Do you, do you, do you have the approach of you're, you're a lot more sort of. Uh, forgiving of situations ah yeah he she will be all right or you know what, what as opposed to other parents that that's the kind of image i have of say a paramedic or a doctor like oh yeah don't don't come to me left less the sort of uh, arterial blood flying out or something yeah like that. definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> pretty much their head has to fall off before i get worried about it <laughs> right uh, and julia's a nurse as well so um I, I, the kids I'd like are in good hands. The same, but she's yeah, no, absolutely not. The worst hands possible. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, they'll be all right if if they get poorly. But um, Julia's very good. She's very caring. I, I'm I'm more of a kind of, you know, it, it needs to be really bad before before I'm interested in it. Whereas Julia's much better at the kind of <laughs> the the low level stuff. Um, but uh, I think it, to be fair, it's probably working as a paramedic has probably changed my attitude to parenting in a kind of you know in, in the same way that i te- treat patients as individual people and and with an equal level of respect regardless of how they present or what life situation they're in i try to do the same with the kids you know i, I just treat them as not as adults but just as individuals and you know frankly they're they're just very inexperienced people aren't they who are, who are kind of learning about how everything fits together and so for me you know i for instance, I don't think we've ever shouted at the kids. We've just never had had the need to, and we just don't feel that that kind of has much benefit because certainly our experiences, they, they, they do things because they haven't really thought it all the way through, for instance, and, and actually it's much better to sit down and just have a chat about stuff when the time is right rather than kind of getting, getting upset about it and, and, and trying to kind of, you know, get it to go in by shouting for me that doesn't seem to make sense and, and i think that's probably a partly formed by the, by the experience of, of working with people as a paramedic i don't right. know if that makes any sense 
No, no, it, it, it sounds amazing because uh, I'd love to say the same, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely seeing more of that now uh, and coming to that sort of uh, area, but I, I definitely have had my moments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it is hard and, and you know, I, I'm very good for getting hangry and uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, if I'm hungry and tired, then, uh, then, I, then I can be not perhaps as pleasant as I'd like to be. And uh, and I do find you know the times when I get you know when when William particularly kind of is, is just pushing the boundaries and he's probably tired and hungry as well to be fair and you know I, I definitely find that kind of winding each other up a bit but Julia's pretty good at, at kind of stepping in and diffusing that uh, if I don't recognise it and uh, would she say yeah, but, like, would anyone like a biscuit <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, uh, yeah shoving shoving something sugary in my mouth is probably a good good way to dis- resolve that but it's the same with the kids you know when they when they start playing up we, we find it's it's usually just because they're hungry or tired or or you know just because they, they they need some attention or want some attention and you know feel that they're not getting it and the, the playing up is is a is a result of those things so you know, much much like when the babies were crying and it, and it was always either you know food or nappy or whatever um it, it, it's not much different now to be fair it's just slightly different things and and yeah yeah it's an interesting we just have to lens, see past, past yeah. the whining yeah an, an interesting lens definitely. to look at look through uh when, you, when you're actually dealing with uh with the kids i wonder what it is that's actually causing this behavior yeah definitely i think i i think the hard thing certainly i find is to is is to have that thought process rather than being sucked into the carnage whatever it is that's going on <laughs> It, it's it is the difficult thing is to look past it and think and think about the why and think about the bigger picture uh, and it's very hard to do that isn't it when somebody's you know sort of shouting and screaming at you or, or or running around being crazy or you know asking kind of silly questions or whatever it is <laughs> but, uh, but again i think it comes with practice doesn't it the more the more it happens the more you kind of get just get used to playing the game and uh, recognizing what's going on yeah but then you have the flip side of that we, you know we we used to feed them quite a lot of snacks to keep them going in between, to keep them kind of happy in inverted commas. But um, then we found that they weren't particularly hungry when it got to mealtime because, you know, they, we'd kept their blood sugar levels up so they were kind of happier during the, the in-between times. But then getting them to eat at mealtimes was a bit of a challenge. And, you know, so there's always this balance in everything, isn't there? Yeah. So now you've find pretty much cut, happy cut snacks out, have you? Yeah, I think we're pretty much at that point. We're, perhaps have a banana mid-morning or something but uh yeah i think again it, you know there's no right or wrong and you know sometimes they wake up very early and sometimes they don't so depending on the day and how it's going and when the next meal i would you know just kind of make a decision on that but certainly if they do have snacks now i'm I'm far more inclined to limit that to a cracker or or something small just to, to just to yeah tie them over until until lunch yeah um, but uh yeah <laughs> they've got to be trained into three meals a day though haven't they which which doesn't feel like a very uh natural thing to do but uh, it's definitely a cultural kind of imposition isn't it so and yeah so we have to do it yeah very much so the um i was going to say because obviously your your children are um four and two at the moment what yeah. what sort of surprises have you had since having children like what were some of the things that you thought about maybe having a family before Right when you guys had just got married, do you look back on and, and are surprised at something that's different to your expectations? Um, I mean, I, firstly, I've got a rubbish memory, and secondly, 
it's been a long four years. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure. You, I can you've only aged what I 15 it years in like. that time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I think how much love I feel for my kids, I'm constantly kind of awed by that. It just, you know, it just, it's an amazing feeling. And, and uh, I, I don't think that's anything I ever kind of realized or kind of thought about perhaps before I had kids. Just, uh, you know, how lovely it is just to snuggle up with them sometimes and read a story or, or have some cuddles or, do you know what I mean? Just playing with them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and just, you, just to, to that end, you've taken, um, uh, like, because you, you've taken the decision to, to stay at home this year, haven't you? Yeah, sort of. Just, I mean, I'm still working, but um, I'm now working for myself. So I've got the kind of flexibility to spend more time with the kids or, or, or work out what time that is. <laughs> Although the last couple of months, uh, perhaps I haven't been getting that balance just right. But um, the, um, yeah, I, 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 do you know, they're only going to be young once, aren't they? And, and I think for me, these are the formative years and these are where you build that kind of bond with them and where you have probably most influence on their on their kind of innermost principles. And um, so for me, I, I don't want to be an absent dad. I don't want to be kind of, you know, just checking in with them at weekends or, or you know, for half an hour in the evening. Um, I want to be a, a, a kind of part of that, a, a significant part of that, that growth and development. And... Um, yeah, the only way to do that is to is to kind of have control over how much time I spend with them. But obviously, that needs to be balanced with paying the mortgage and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, so it's nice to do that. And and actually, it's um, when I gave up my full time role, so many people said to me, "Oh, I wish I'd done that when when I was when my kids were young." And they'd kind of missed that point. And um, that's been really nice, actually. Really, 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 really. Um, a great affirmation. Really co- co- comforting. Yeah, definitely a great affirmation that. Um, that it, it's it's the right thing to do or a good thing to do um so yeah i think uh i was listening to a great uh, podcast the other day about self-esteem and um it, the takeaway message for me was essentially that that our job is to is to give our children self-esteem until they've got enough confidence to do it themselves or on a, until they've internalized it and um uh, and that's kind of one of the core principles, I suppose, that, that Julia and I have with them is just to to make them believe in themselves and to <clears throat> to give them the that kind of positive feedback all the time and focus on all the great things they do, uh, and and focus on less on the things that perhaps aren't so great. Yeah. Uh, do you have any examples of how you go about that, Tim? Yeah. Well, I'll um, I'll, I'll give you a, a shout out actually because um, I, I remember when we we met. Uh, I don't know, it must be a year or so ago, and you talked about um, giving feedback to your kids. Uh, I think you had the, the jar of awesome. <laughs> is that what it's called? Is that, is that what you called it? <laughs> yeah, Something like that. That's right. Um, we've gone for a slightly slightly softer, slightly more British jar of loveliness. And, <laughs> I have uh, to say that the jar of awesome is actually a hat tip to Tim Ferriss, so I can't claim Oh, right, one. okay, okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so with William particularly, I mean, Elizabeth's not quite in a place where it, it will work for her at the moment, although although we do do sort of similar things. But um, so with William every night as part of his bedtime routine, we'll, um, we write a couple of post-it notes, a couple of papers we call them, and, um, and we just try and focus on things that he's done that have been lovely. And it doesn't have to be anything specific or it doesn't have to be this amazing thing, but just trying to focus on behaviors that we really want um, 
so for instance lately he's really into into his letters and his numbers and learning to write so to help him kind of feel that he's good at that and to encourage him to do it more we we're kind of you know we write a little paper that says you know william did some really great writing today and we draw a little little sketch of something on the bottom he loves the pictures on the paper that really engages him and um and, and then equally if something has gone not so well in the day and if he's ended up kind of you know having a time out or something then um then we'll put that on there as well to help him reflect on kind of what went wrong and perhaps what he might do differently next time and uh and it, it, it's a great opportunity to to either reinforce the behaviors you want or just help him to reflect on kind of things that the behaviors that we don't want and uh, uh yeah help him to to grow and then hopefully he'll then fall asleep feeling happy about himself we always do the anything if, whenever there's anything to, re- to reflect on we always do that first get that out of the way and screw it up throw it away and then we'll kind of collect the positive ones after that and, and put them in the jar and we keep them all in a big jar and, uh, and is it um, built into quite a habit then i mean how long is it oh, I, if, oh we're on our second jar and uh, <laughs> that's great yeah, i mean when did we talk about it it's probably was it a year ago or something i should yeah the uh Cole's wedding yeah in, so uh, uh yeah september yeah, so we, we we picked it up straight from then, and, and we've just been doing it ever since. So, yeah, every night, literally every night. Sometimes, you know, if he's at nursery all day and we've kind of had to get up, get out the door, drop him off at nursery, pick him up, put him in the bath and put him to bed, we we, we won't do anything because we, you know, unless we've got any good feedback from nursery, cause it, just because we, we haven't got anything to, to kind of do. But, yeah, every night and, you know, some nights there'll be one, some nights there'll be four. Um, but, um, yeah, that seems to really work, actually. You know, you just... It, for me, it's really, really positive. As an educator, I kind of like that approach of, of giving him feedback and reinforcing the positives and, and telling him how great he is because he's done great writing or, or because he was you know, really polite or he really helped his sister with something or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and likewise, just helping him to reflect. Seem, seems, to have, seems to work, seems to kind of you know, help him to, to get those in. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Because I suppose the default would be to just admonish whenever the kids do something that doesn't fit in with what you think's right and, and then they just get all this evidence built up that i'm always doing stuff wrong whereas if we can actually take time to recognize the good times and then actually show that we're recognizing that i think that's a big deal for kids yeah definitely and we've always tried not to label our kids and i suppose william was the first one but and we didn't really give it much thought at the beginning we just decided that we didn't want to label them um but i think that fits really nicely into this same kind of building safe self-esteem. You know, we didn't want to say you, you, you're naughty or you're shy or, do you know? Mm. Yeah. We, we, we'd rather talk about the behavior, that particular, that particular behavior was, you know, how, did you feel uncomfortable meeting those new people or going to nursery today? Or, you know, and how do you think, you know, how do you think you could, could deal with that? Or how, you know, when's it going to get easier? How's that going to get easier? Kind of, yeah. Talking about the behavior rather than labeling him something. Cause because again, we don't want him to start internalising that I'm a naughty child because mummy tells me I'm naughty or daddy tells me I'm naughty, yeah, and um, uh, and then start to believe that he is naughty. You know, actually, I want him to believe that he's he's awesome at, uh, at writing and numbers, and he's he's a really kind boy, and you know, he's very sociable. And I think the more times you tell your children that, kind of the easier it is for them to internalise it, and that's going to become part of their psyche, isn't it? Part of their yeah. Well, it's their, certainly, their, certainly uh, focusing on a growth mindset. As opposed to yeah, sort definitely. of the label, and then it's like, no, no, through practice, we can actually get to to another place. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, we find that a really positive way to, to do it, but uh, occasionally it's quite challenging. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, 
Um, only again, occasionally, it, it, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get into the habit of it, it's, it's a lot easier, isn't it? You kind of, you know, it just becomes what you do. Yeah. Have you got much in the way of um, support around as well? Um, a little bit. I saw you mean in terms of people. Yeah, family and so Yeah, so um, so Julia's parents are up the road. Grandma and granddad are up the road, uh, and they look after the kids for one day a week, um, which is great for everybody involved. Actually, it's great for us because we get you know we don't have to pay for childcare. It's great for them because they get to see the, our kids. Uh, and it's great for for the kids because they get to build relationships with grandma and granddad. So um, it's a kind of winning winning combination. Actually, it's, it's good for everybody. Um, although, although grandma and granddad are probably quite tired by the end of the day, um, but uh, but they love they love it. Um, so yeah, my family are a bit further away, so we don't see them uh, as often. Um, but I mean, when they do, they, they they love it. But yeah, it's, it's great to have grandma and granddad nearby. And Julia's sister and her family are, are nearby as well. So it's great for him to have uh, some of his uh, his cousins nearby. Yeah. You, you can't underestimate the value of having uh, family support nearby, can you? Oh, it, it's amazing, isn't it? And um, from from any any which way you look at it, it, it it's great to have. So, uh, and, it, and it's the reason why we're here. You know, Julia's very, very close to her family. And... Um, uh, and it, uh, we both think it's great for our kids to be able to kind of, you know, we, we, we're going to have to choose one family or the other unless unless somebody starts moving house. But uh, so <laughs> yeah. so it's great for them to be to have that closeness to, to at least one half of their family, and, and and we make a real effort to to get to see my half of the family as well. So Tim, are there any things or sort of beliefs that you you hold that you think are probably counter to what most people think when it comes to parenting? Uh, I'm not sure whether it's kind of counter to what most people think, but certainly uh, I have an approach sometimes that's different to Julia. Um, so I, I think as an educator, I kind of, um, you know, for me, education is a really powerful tool. And um, I find myself sometimes or or, or hear, hear us getting in a situation, for instance, you know, if William wants to use a sharp knife or use a lighter or, or, or whatever, you know, the, the initial reaction is to say, no, you can't have that. It's dangerous. You could hurt yourself. And, you know, we don't we don't let him do it. But actually, I have a I have a slightly different approach, which is, you know, if I teach you how to use this knife properly, then you won't hurt yourself. And the fact that you're four is neither here nor there. Now, perhaps not everybody might agree with that. And but but, you know, certainly for William, he he understands that knives are sharp and he could hurt himself and he understands that the threat and and actually now he'll ask if he can get a sharp knife and he'll ask if i'll help him to cut something and you know we'll cut an apple together and um for me that's that's a much better way of doing it than just saying no you can't have that till you're eight or something you know it kind of <laughs> that's awesome for me, <laughs> for me arbitrary that. sort of uh life marks well, exactly, you know, and, and, you know, Elizabeth always wants to copy her big brother and, you know, and she, if we're cutting something, she'll want to cut something as well. So, again, we'll we'll just let her cut it. But, of course, we'll we'll obviously we'll get her to hold the knife and then hold her hand over the knife and, and cut the grape carefully or whatever. Um, but for me, you know, education is a is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a really powerful tool and, and, and again, probably goes goes to the heart of him and who he is that he's able to do these things. And uh, rather than, you know, there's all these things that I can't do until I'm grown up and, you know, kind of it, this is for something else, actually. It, 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 he definitely starts to believe that he's capable of kind of everything that I can do, he can do. And perhaps he just needs to practice more until he gets there. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's probably the, the one that springs to mind. Yeah, that's but a I great one, Tim. Controversial, <laughs> that'll be. 
no 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 i I like it i think it's a it's a brilliant approach and um yeah uh, (laughs) i immediately thought of the chainsaw when you said that i wonder what stage (laughs) (laughs) or or they're saying that we did buy will a chainsaw helmet for christmas um because he loves he, he loves um uh, sort of following me around the garden when I'm using power tools and stuff. And so yeah. obviously I had him some safety specs and some ear defenders and stuff, but it it was just hard to keep the things on him and he'll take one off or the other and then have to say, stop what I'm doing and and then sort yeah. of walking yeah, back yeah. to the house. Whereas I thought, I'll just get him a helmet. And it's great to sit on his head, <laughs> earmuffs hold it in place and all of a sudden he's got a face guard, earmuffs and he can shadow me doing whatever. Yeah, brilliant. Love that. And 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 I think you know you clearly have a, a similar approach to me, which is you know, best best teach them how to do this. It, there's no age at which you can't do it. It's just you know you, you've got the ability, the physical ability, and the and the kind of cognitive ability, or you haven't. And and once you've got it, you know you might as well it, use you it. Can, you can you can crack on with it, can't you? And you know and and they're, they're little sponges, aren't they? Soaking it all yeah. up all the time. And if he's watching you, and I'm the same with William doing DIY, he'll he'll you know drill things, he'll screw things in with the electric screwdriver and the electric drill, and you know, kind of my poor wife, <coughs> it's a nervous wreck. But um, <laughs> but um, do you know he he knows how to use it safely now. I, I remember when I was uh, I must have been at least twelve because it was in the house we moved to when I was twelve, and uh, I saw my dad's drill lying around, and I went and played with it, and and I drilled my finger I, I hurt myself on it because i just wanted to play with this thing that i hadn't been able to, to play with hadn't been allowed to play with <laughs> and uh exactly yeah yeah so so i learned a lesson that day but uh kind of for me i, I if i find myself saying you can't have it to william on something I, I really have to check myself and think actually can he not have it or do i just need to teach him how to use it yeah is this a t- is this a time constraint that i've placed on getting this job done <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, cause the time does blow out as soon as they start yeah, helping yeah. in inverted yeah. commas <laughs> well now that now that he's able to open my toolbox we're in a whole world of trouble if he, <laughs> if he gets to the toolbox then all my tools disappear around the house and yeah he'll have his own little stash of my tools in different places <laughs> it was quite but, remarkable uh, yeah. We were at the. Sorry, um, uh, I was just going to say we were at the hardware store, um, looking for Christmas presents, as in the the chainsaw helmet, and um, they had toolkits for kids, and there was a real hammer in it. And my initial response was, "Well, there goes all the windows," <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, because I could just imagine one tap, and there we go. But um, you know, to to Will and Emily's credit because they both had toolkits yeah no uh no windows have been broken yet so it's uh, yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's testament to you know give them tools explain how to use them and and yeah, yeah. they'll use Watch them out the, the windows right kids yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. please don't smash the windows yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah 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 and, and you know again that just fits really nicely doesn't it you know once, once kids understand the reason that we get worried about certain things you know once we've taught them the the pros and cons that they're pretty pretty able to to apply those to the real world don't they yeah and, yeah i agree yeah they, they don't often get it wrong well <laughs> no, no, i'm joking i'm joking i know i get i still get it wrong a lot but uh <laughs> i think we're all working on that on that <laughs> and we've even got the internet to teach us and we've got youtube to teach yeah us. exactly <laughs> Tim, do you and Julia have any particular parenting strategies that you use? Um, I suppose we have loads of of different strategies. Um, one of the ones we probably use day to day and probably many times every day 
uh, is about a sort of decisions and consequences model. Um, we're kind of really clear that, that that's a good way to, to kind of train the children. And um, do you know, we've, we find it works quite well, actually. So we, you know, we, we, we try to make sure that we uh, tell the kids what the consequences of making particular decisions might be. So if they're playing up in a particular way or being stubborn about some things, you know, and, and things need to move on. Uh, and let's say that, that one of them doesn't want to go up for a bath because they, they want to carry on playing. Um, we'll just say quite simply, you know, well, listen, you know, we need to go up for a bath. It's time to go for a bath now. Uh, if you don't go upstairs for a bath now, then we'll do whatever it is, you know, then, or you can sit on the step and, and, yeah. and do nothing until you decide to go up, up for a bath. And, um, and we find that works really well, just giving, giving them a choice and telling them what the, what the consequences of the choices they make will be. Um, and uh, that's like real life, isn't it? You know, the same for you and I, the, the choices we make, uh, are the choice we make and what happens is the result of that choice isn't it and some yeah. of those things are good and some not so good <laughs> yeah so what you're saying to him is it's almost like um you know we know that you're setting the boundaries beforehand though aren't you you're saying to them look if you do that then these are going to be the consequences so that you're not just sort of punishing them or something out of the blue yeah definitely we we always make sure that um the consequences are very clear and they understand the consequences. And, and sometimes you have to introduce those mid carnage uh, because you, you, <laughs> yeah. because you haven't laid those boundaries down beforehand, but you know, some of them are longstanding boundaries and, and, and so are the consequences, you know, and, and he knows that you know, doing X will result in whatever. Um, I mean, I, I should say that we try to do, to do sort of carrot and stick um, because, uh, you know, carrot on its own doesn't work. It would be great if it did, but um you know, we try to have those consequences, um, and we try to make sure those consequences are are, are are sort of appropriate to the to the to the decision or, or the behaviour that, that that we're trying to discourage. Um, and we try to make sure we we never use you know go to your room as a as a as a consequence for him because we want his room to be a nice, calm, happy place where he goes to sleep and has, has a yeah. solid night's sleep. So, so we use the sort of we don't call it a naughty step. We just call it a timeout. But we, we sit him on the bottom step, mostly because it's boring and he gets bored very easily there because there's no toys <laughs> within reach. Uh, I'm talking about William now. Elizabeth's uh, not at a stage where she'll sit still or, or kind of comprehends that really yet. So we have, we have to take a slightly different approach with her. But um, you put her on the bottom step and she'll just crawl off no matter how many times you put her back <laughs> on there. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so I have to, have to do things slightly differently than that. So I think that's, that's probably... Uh, one strategy we use kind of day to day that, that you know i wish we didn't have to use it but it but it does work and and i think it's teaching them how the real world works um but at the same time we we kind of we always try to make them feel loved you know we want them to grow up in, in a loving home in a loving family and, and we sort of do that through our, our words and our actions so we're constantly telling them that, that we love them just out of the blue or you know uh, when they do something nice, we're pointing that out and saying, "Oh, that's why I love you." And and just those kind of it, it's like being in an in an early relationship, you know, where you where you're complimenting each other and flattering each other all the time. Um, and we we try and make make it an environment like that for the kids, really, so that they so that they feel secure, I suppose, and um, and hopefully that helps them to to be secure and to 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 have a, a good level of self esteem and. Uh, 
hopefully that helps them in, in difficult situations you know when they're you know they've been to a few different nurseries now and you know those are always challenging times aren't they going to a new place with yeah. new people uh, so hopefully you know if they feel secure and that self-esteem is is good then you know hopefully that helps them and uh, and it probably doesn't go amiss as well when we're kind of giving them consequences the fact that they know in their heart of hearts that they're loved very much you know just just because daddy said something that, that that you know i didn't like now this one time well you know that doesn't affect it i suppose yeah got so, it um, so yeah, I, I suppose we yeah we, we try and do that. I'm sure there's plenty of others, but I can't think what they are off the top of my head. I, I'm, I'm sure Julia would tell you. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Tim, what, what are your favourite activities with the kids at the moment? Oh, um, it, it really depends. Working is my favourite activity this month, but um, <laughs> what do we try to do with them? Um, yeah, we we try to do a range of stuff with them, but um, there's never enough. There's never enough time, is there? Because I, I don't think you pay. I, I don't think any anyone listening to this probably doesn't have quite a fuller picture of you. Like because of your outdoor ed background, like you've done pretty much everything, haven't you, Tim? From skydiving to you know, sort of snowboarding instruction, you, you name it, you've done it. Scuba diving. Well, I like to try everything once, uh, but uh, yeah, um, I like an adventure. I like being active and. Um, do you know, I, I think that's great for the kids as well. I think it's great for the kids to be active. I think it's great for them to to, to get their steps in and to, to get their fresh air in. And um, so, yeah, so, but equally, you, you know, activities at the moment, Williams, I'll say, I've said it a couple of times now, he's, he's really into his, his letters and his numbers. So he loves drawing and practicing those. And he's just discovered coloring as well. So he's constantly kind of wanting to get his pens out and coloring his book. So, um we kind of balanced that with, I mean, the, the, the kind of thing before that, I suppose, that he learned to do was ride a bike properly. And, uh, and and that was his focus. And so we were kind of supporting him doing that whenever we could. So we're trying to keep the bike riding going and stuff. And you know, the bike will go with him when he goes to grandma and granddad's or whatever. Um, so kind of it, 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 it's almost led by them with a, with a, with a large helping of kind of uh, encouragement from us. Um, William certainly knows that, it's great to be outside and that all the benefits from it. So he, he understands that. Uh, and we balance, you know, watching a bit of telly, playing on the iPad a little bit, doing some coloring, doing some numbers and letters, getting out and about running around, going up the hills, whatever. Um, it, Elizabeth as well, you know, she, if the front door is ever open, she's out and she's off up the road and, you know, she'd be there on her own. And uh, <laughs> so she, the car she keys? being outside. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> She loves being outside, so um, so we never have a, a, a drama getting her out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's getting her back in. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So uh, do you know what, what's favourite activity? I, I'm not sure it's a favourite. It's just a whole bunch of different stuff, and we try to kind of mix that up. Um, we'd love to do more of all of it. I'm, I'm sure you know, swimming, for instance, is one of those things that for us that seems to fall off the the, the bottom of the list sometimes. But. Uh, um, it's yeah, definitely it's just, a oh. red hot favourite when you actually get them to the pool. Oh, definitely, definitely. The um, I mean, there's a slide in the local pool, so whenever we go there, William's big enough to go on it. So uh, he, he loves that. That's, that's his motivation. But um, Elizabeth has uh, Down syndrome, so she goes to a kind of uh, a special needs group every Tuesday with with Julia, and William goes along as well. And they've got a little pool there, uh, usually used for sort of hydrotherapy stuff. Um, 
and William gets to go in it every other Tuesday. So uh, I suppose he gets his regular swim and Elizabeth goes in as well. Um, so uh, so they kind of do get, get that, but it's perhaps not not what I would call swimming because it's, it's a, a quite a small pool, but, you know, he gets to, to muck around the water and get it. Well, I suppose proportionately it's, it's a massive pool to him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Olymp- Olympic size. Yep. <laughs> and um, mm. you mentioned Elizabeth has Down syndrome. How, how do you actually describe that? Um, so Down syndrome kind of have, has common char- characteristics, I suppose. So uh, people with Down syndrome will often have some sort of learning disability. So it takes Elizabeth a lot longer than a typical child to to learn stuff. Um, uh, and apparently that, that gap kind of will get bigger with age so she's probably so she's she's just learned to toddle at two and a bit two and a yeah, quarter whatever she is um two and a half probably now um and uh, she's sort of still not speaking she'll make noise but she's she's very good at signing now we've taught her some, some signs she's very good at saying i'm hungry and i want to eat <laughs> and i'm hungry um exactly nothing else is important <laughs> really um she can do all the animal uh, signs, which is very useful if you go to a zoo. Um, uh, so yeah, so um, so yeah, that, that's what I'd say. Uh, it's probably the most prominent feature. Um, people with Down syndrome often have physical uh, issues as well, um, but Elizabeth seems to have been quite fortunate in that respect. Um, she's had some holes in her heart. Uh, which we think are still there, but don't seem to be causing her any problem. So, um, yeah, we think we're we're okay. We've got a cardiology review sometime later in the year. But um, yeah, I, th- I think the thing that probably characterises people with Down syndrome most is the is the a bit longer to learn things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you you just uh, adapt. How how have you adapted sort of activities? Is it just a big shovel of uh, patience when sort of working through things compared to William? Yeah, I think so, and and we haven't really done anything differently, I suppose, because we, I think, because of the way we try to kind of um, treat Elizabeth, we just treat her like a child, you know, and um, it, the, the the problem is our problem more in that it's like having a bigger, very enthusiastic baby. You know, up until recently, because because you had to carry her still, and and you know you have to, you, know, you, you because she's pre-verbal communication is a bit more challenging, but it's no different than when William was a little baby. You know, it's, there's 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 no difference. It's just that that time in that place is kind of longer, I suppose. So uh, yeah, that that whole dealing with the baby bit has gone on a bit longer than perhaps it it did with William. Um, so but we try and t- treat her the same. You know, she understands very well. Um, but she um, she has limited ability to communicate with us because it, it's done through sign, and obviously it takes her a, a while to learn the signs. Um, but you know she's very good at asking for biscuits and cake and chocolate. Um, <laughs> so <Aren't> we all <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it, it, it's a bit like uh, when you're in a foreign country and you don't speak the language. You know, you just get by. Uh, by gesticulating and grunting and pointing uh, and she's no different frankly uh, that that's her, her thing and it kind of works most of the time we can work out kind of what she wants and uh, that means that she doesn't get frustrated and uh, and, and nor do we and, and you know things things crack on so uh, 
yeah so i suppose nothing different it's just extended from kind of how we how we did it yeah otherwise would you uh is there any advice you'd give yourself um you know pre having kids having gone through you know two two kids now um i think probably oh retrospect is a wonderful thing isn't it isn't it <laughs> again I'm, it's been a very tiring four years so uh, i'd say get sleep before you have children because <laughs> that's going to stop um <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think certainly the early months uh you know when you're trying to work it all out with a brand new baby with, with the first one particularly you kind of I suppose people certainly for me we 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 had lots of questions and we're kind of constantly researching stuff you know, how how do we do this how do we do that and how do we get through this this particular kind of thing that's going on and um my sister gave me a, a great bit of advice which kind of sticks with me and 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 I, and it's definitely advice I'd give to other people which is kind of you know listen listen to what other people have got to say but at the end of the day do what feels right for you and your child or children um do you know, there is no right and wrong. There are just different approaches. And for, for me, the best thing you can do is kind of um, take an interest in it. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to pick one and, and it is it will be what it'll be. You can always, you know, change your change your decision later on. Um, <laughs> Adapt. Exactly. Yeah. As you as you learn what works for you and your child, because, uh, you know, there are some awful books and really popular books. I forget the name of the one. Where you know at ten past ten, make your child a slice of toast with you know low fat butter, butter it from left to right, uh, and you know twenty past ten, change your child's nappy, and and you're just like, what is what is this? You know, it's something out of the the eighteen hundreds or something. Um, but it's a really popular book still, and everybody raves about it. And actually, you know, whether you whether you agree with that or not, you know there are there are there might be bits you can take from it. So we we found, for instance, that routine seems to be a really useful uh thing to get with our children you know they they know what to expect because the same things happen roughly in the same order every day you know we, we get up at the same time if we can um you know we have milk you have breakfast you get dressed you do your teeth and same at the other end of the day kind of you know so so some sort of routine seems to work quite well for our children so again you know whilst i might not be you know by the minute <laughs> <laughs> everything has to be done exactly this way you know that that kind of principle of you know getting children into a routine we we took from that i suppose so uh yeah that's probably, that, that's probably some good advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or not <laughs> well no no I, I think that that's one of the things that i took from our conversation a while back when when you were telling me the same thing you know um it's really sort of about just trying something for a while and seeing how it works and then <laughs> taking a look at it and going, yeah, that didn't quite work the way we thought. Let's try this and just keep in adapting until, you know, you're honing on what works for that particular child because each child is completely wild differently. We've certainly noticed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. What, what yeah and, and, oh, sorry, Tim. Sorry. No, no, go on. I was just going to reinforce what you said that, um, you know, as I say, it's what works for you and the child and, and, Whilst it might work for you and one of your children, it might not work for you and your other child. Yeah, um, 
Totally. The dynamics are and it's be so easy to overlook, I think. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. easy uh, easy to try and go, well, why doesn't this work? Because it worked with number one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they are individuals, aren't they? And you wouldn't do that with adults. You wouldn't, you know, as adults, we all have different wants and needs, don't we? And we, we treat different adults in different ways because we, we know they respond better or, or worse to particular approaches. And that's exactly the same with your kids, isn't it? You know, the, Again, this this approach of you know you have to do exactly the same with number one as number two because that's fair it isn't isn't right in my view. So, you know you have to meet the individual person child's needs, uh, and that's fair. If you if you equally meet their needs, then that's that's fair. But you, you might need to do that in different ways. Yeah, totally. Yep, I think um, uh, that was an interesting point um, that we were talking about before as well. You know, in the sense of um, being very different and the way you talk to them they are little adults at the end of the day uh, and yeah, you know, yeah, we, we wouldn't talk to adults the way that you know sometimes you, you you find yourself almost like by default going to talk to kids and go oh hang on a second yeah if i was trying to actually convince <laughs> a colleague at work to do something i uh, would totally have a different approach here so why am i why am i just falling into this pattern of talking to my kids in this way and pulling yourself back from that that that's certainly my experience anyway yeah there. definitely uh, yeah and uh, absolutely uh, it's so true isn't it because you wouldn't talk to anybody else like that and just because this person is is young and inexperienced uh, or doesn't understand some concepts you know there's no need to be patronizing and, and kind of talk down to people is there it's just you know that, yeah, that that's not gonna be good for their psyche is it? it's not gonna be good for their kind of self-esteem to be to be kind of talked to like that and, and perhaps isn't going to be great for your relationship with them either because you know if you talk to me like that i'm probably not going to like you very and much and they're going to remember everything they're going to remember way more than we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, i'm not do they remember certainly for me you know they i'm not not sure when that sort of long-term memory starts happening but even if they don't remember specific things they'll it's definitely building them into who they are. You know, it's definitely yeah. part of their their internal person, isn't it? And, their and image that will stay of how with them the world for, for long, long. Exactly. Yeah. One one of the points you made earlier as well, Tim, um, in the, the week when we were talking was from a paramedic's perspective. You were saying how difficult it is to actually break children, which was quite um, <laughs> quite an insight for me. Actually, so can you just go into that a bit, Tim? Um. <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say now. I yeah, oh, okay. Um, yeah, otherwise, I might lose my <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, from a from a clinical point of view, you know, we take children very very seriously because they they're, they're very good at what we call compensating, and then they then they get they can get very poorly very quickly. So we we always take children's uh, and, and sort of children's illness very very seriously. So with that caveat out of the way, um, I think you know again what one of our I suppose principles is to is to make the kids pretty robust, both emotionally but physically as well, um, and and kind of, you know, when they're running around and then they fall over and hurt themselves, you know, their initial reaction is to cry, look at you, uh, and and we've tried really hard. I think Julia finds this perhaps harder than I do, but we've tried really hard to kind of say, right, come on up, you get, let's get on with it, uh, and not make it a thing that you know, not not make that falling over and hurting yourself an excuse to have some cuddles and some love and you know let it let this kind of crying roll on for a bit we make a real point of just trying to kind of okay does it work still right you're fine get up let's get on with it and, and distract them so they don't get into that habit of of you know kind of hurting themselves i suppose becoming part of that kind of 
culture of you know if i fall on the floor and start crying i can i can do this for a while yeah i can get attention yeah yeah exactly i don't know if that makes sense no absolutely and i I have to jump in and (laughs) clarify yeah because i didn't make it very clear earlier it it totally was from that perspective of like falling over and hurting yourself not from like (laughs) i think i've got it you know something going on in my head and then you know that sort of or 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 or, uh, i think i've got something really bad going on in my tummy right now and (laughs) yeah although that said when when uh, when elizabeth was just eight weeks old um, she'd had a chest infection for a few days and uh, Julia had taken her to the doctor a couple of times, two, two days on the trot. She was unhappy. And um, kind of, we were both kind of, you know, oh, she's not very happy with this chest infection, a little eight week old baby. And, uh, and, and it was only kind of one night when I came home, we're like, mm, she's really quite hot and definitely not well today. And uh, I ended up driving at speed to the local <laughs> hospital or to the, to the emergency department and uh, it turned out she'd got meningitis and was, oh, wow. was quite quite poorly bacterial meningitis and um and kind of when i reflect back on that and the kind of build up to that i kind of wonder whether that you know how that how my or, or, or how our clinical backgrounds uh, kind of affected our perspective up to that point and whether whether that kind of meant that it dragged on a bit longer or meant that we were a bit you know we kind of dealt with it a bit sooner than other parents would but i mean i, I don't know what the answer is but uh yeah it's an interesting perspective on on kind of how how we felt and uh, and and you know the fact that we are clinicians and well, julia's a, a, a pediatric nurse so you know she she's very used to dealing with little people um I, i'm definitely not so much but um yeah really interesting kind of uh time to reflect on as as a as somebody with some medical training yeah i mean is it something that's really hard to and i suppose is it very different in different patients as well so to, to um, recognize and diagnose i mean are you talking about meningitis specifically yeah. yeah i mean meningitis we know is a really naughty little disease that um that that can be really challenging and that's why it's got such a reputation because actually the, the and it's catastrophic come, often as well uh, I mean, it's not. I'm not sure. I'd say often it can be catastrophic. It can be can be very very bad. Uh, can 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 definitely be fatal. Um, but it, by the time it becomes kind of fairly obvious what it is, we're quite a way down the line. That's the problem with it. So that by the time people kind of recognise what it is, uh, we're at quite a late stage, and, and obviously we've got a long way to come back from without without it causing any any long term damage or, or death. So. Um, there are different types of meningitis as well, so and, and different types have different kind of outcomes, I suppose. Um, specifically, bacterial meningitis tends to be a lot worse than viral meningitis. And within the bacterial bit, there's kind of meningococcal septicemia, which is when we start talking about the, the rash that isn't actually a rash. Um, that, that obviously um, is kind of probably what meningitis is best known for, but the rash only occurs in something like 50% of patients. Uh, and it's a it's a really late sign you know things have gone badly wrong by that point already so uh, meningitis you know might just be kind of flu-like or something like that and and that's really difficult particularly in in young children it's worth saying meningitis can affect adults and and teenagers as well as it can babies and children Um, but in in an eight-week-old baby who's just generally unhappy and a bit hot do you know that that's that could be anything couldn't it that's just a a chest infection um 
And probably what happened in Elizabeth's case is the chest infection then spread up into her, into into the, the lining around her brain, the meninges, hence the name. Um, and uh, yeah, she she was just a bit grum, uh, not a bit grumbly. She was very grumbly, so she was kind of uh, uh, very hot. She was over forty degrees. She was forty-one point something degrees, I think, when I when I got home from work one day. And um, obviously, that's extremely hot in a in a in a young baby. And um, and she was sort of grunting with every breath, and and I think I remember saying or thinking at the time, you know, poor, poor little sausage, she's she's really not enjoying this this chest infection. And then thinking, yeah, she feels a bit hot. Let's take a temperature. And then that was the kind of that was the that was the catalyst. The call, the, yeah. th- that was the call to action. Yeah, and we're like, okay, let's go. Um, and, and for me, there was no point calling an ambulance because I could probably get to the hospital as quickly. As and it would take an ambulance to come, yeah, and then say, I wouldn't have to, to wait to at the house a, while people. Yeah, exactly. And you used to drive yeah, yeah. Car. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the police. Um, but um, I think they'd understand yeah, but, in this case. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, so so off we went to the emergency department. I think we probably caught it just in time while we were in there. She got a little bit, a little bit worse, but it was quite poorly. And um, yeah, we we had to wait for the pediatrician to come along to to get uh, access to one of her veins to to get the antibiotics in and uh, that took a little bit of time and uh yeah i think during that 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 sort of hour or so wait in the recess room it uh it uh yeah i think she got she got quite poorly but i think we just caught it in time the, the, the pediatrician turned out we got the antibiotics in and uh, after a week on the pediatric ward we uh we managed to escape and get back home wow. yeah interesting times yeah must have uh, been pretty terrifying, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it was an interesting time, to be fair, because um, when Elizabeth was born, she put us through the mill a little bit. So um, we didn't know she had Down syndrome, and um, one of the characteristics of people with Down syndrome is that they tend to be smaller than typical babies, and um, obviously that's the same in their gestation in the womb. So. Uh, one of the consequences of that is that uh, she'd been pretty much doing somersaults, I think, uh, inside Julia. And um, one of the midwives had thought the baby was upside down before she was born. And uh, so in the end, we went in to have this procedure where where the baby gets turned around through sort of manipulating the baby through Julia's abdomen. And um, so they turned her... To, to the right way round, and um, then a couple of days later, Julia was absolutely convinced that she'd turned round again. But uh, everybody seemed to be seemed to be sure that that wasn't the case. And uh, then anyway, Julia went into labour, and we got got down to the hospital. And I remember being stood at, at the entrance to the uh, to the maternity ward, ringing the doorbell, and the the, the, the midwife sort of saying hello. So yeah, it's Julia here. Or have got Julia Cook here, and. Uh, she wants to push, <laughs> at which point I heard some running around. And uh, we kind of went in and got into the to the birthing unit. And uh, as we got into the the, the bath, um, the midwife kind of became concerned about Elizabeth that, that uh, her heartbeat wasn't quite right. So we ended up kind of jumping out of the bath onto a trolley and being whisked up, up the way to the to the other ward. And uh, with 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 uh julia in active labor and uh elizabeth uh, decided to come out backwards she was a breech birth uh so she had turned around 
but worse than that, she'd managed to get the cord wrapped around her neck a few times. And uh, so we finally got her out, and uh, Julia was brilliant uh, and got her out. But um, it was a bit, uh, bit touch and go. There were some worried-looking faces in the room. And uh, but uh, then, obviously, a few hours later, the, the doctor came back to me. It just looked like a baby, and you know. Um, but uh, the doctor came back a few few hours later and, and told us that uh, Elizabeth might have Down syndrome. So uh, yeah, so after a fairly traumatic birth, and then discovering that she had Down syndrome, and then a couple of months later, getting meningitis. Uh, she uh, she got us on our toes, that's for sure. But, uh, touch wood, she's been uh, she's been pretty good since then. So yeah, interesting start to life. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I think um, uh, I imagine both of them will keep you on your toes, though, Tim. Yeah, they they absolutely do. But they it do. sounds like Elizabeth has definitely had a fair share of uh, extra on toesness. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you know, it is what it is, and. Uh, uh, it, it's it's an interesting journey, but it, I, I, for me, I think it's an interesting journey with every child, and uh, there's perhaps just a couple of other things to consider with Elizabeth. So, um, you know, it's it's no different really, apart from the sort of longer period of time while we uh, well we don't have communication, and and up until now didn't have uh, mobility, but uh, we're in big trouble now because she can run <laughs> off now. She's mobile. That's it. Yeah, you're done yeah. for. We are. We've had it absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, Tim. Um, I, I'm very conscious that I've uh, kept you on the on the phone for a long time here. Um, this has been great. I really appreciate your time, mate. And um, yeah, I think uh, I'll let you get back to the uh, the, the the family. But, hey, it's uh, no problem at all. It's uh, it's great to speak to you, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to kind of share my thoughts. I'm not sure uh, uh, how useful that'll be to other people, but um, yeah, you know, I'd good luck with the podcast. It's it's useful to me. I think uh, I, I I had no idea that um, Elizabeth had, had uh, meningitis. So um, yeah, do you not know? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. no, no. That's the thing. Yeah. Even halfway around so, the world and not being on Facebook and stuff, I I do exactly, feel like yeah. I've missed out on a f- fair few uh, seminal sort of uh, moments in in my in our friends' lives, and and that's definitely one of them. So yeah, apologise for that. Yeah, no, there's nothing to apologise for at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? And, you know, you, certainly for for me, my focus was on, you know, on those two little monkeys and making sure they were good. And, uh, you know, Julia's, Julia's usually pretty good at kind of socialising with people and letting them know what's going on. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's just my, my lack of ability to communicate with people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't believe that for a minute, Tim. <laughs> I'm, I'm too busy trying to sleep generally. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, there we are. All good. Before we go, um, would you like to uh, just mention what projects you're working on at the moment and any way that people can get in touch with you? Um, so, yeah, at the moment, um, I've I've combined my, my two passions of, um, of education and, and pre-hospital care, and I've set up my own uh, sort of training company, um, so I'm delivering first aid or and advanced first aid courses, some very specialist stuff, uh, some very very sort of mainstream stuff, uh, and also mental health courses um, to, to groups of people to try and help them work out what to do when it all goes kind of horribly wrong. Um, so yeah, to contact me or, or find out what I, more about what I do, I suppose just go onto the website, which is www.custom-training.co.uk. And uh, have a look around, get in touch if uh, if you're interested in something. Brilliant. That's great, Tim. 
And um, I really appreciate you coming on the show, spending time with us and, and sharing your, your insights. And uh, I uh, look forward to chatting with you again and hearing uh, more of the adventures to come. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, uh, the podcast great. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to be on. Uh, keep up the good work. And uh, it's always, a, always a pleasure to chat with you, Rich. So uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Bye for now. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Tim. Before you head off for the week, though, if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts, that would be amazing. If you like Instagram, be sure to follow the show at The Dad Mindset as well so that you can receive updates and stay in touch. In the meantime, have a great week and enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>